There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 31 of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien. Today, I am in the Meat Eater offices in Bozeman, Montana. I'm joined with our friend Ryan Callahan for another appearance on the podcast. Before we get started, I would note that um, you are now going to find all the Hunting Collective content, all the podcasts, all the articles, all the things uh, that we do here on TheMeatEater.com. Uh, that's where it will live uh, for the longer term as we fold the hunting collective into the, the network that we've announced last week in the company that we're calling Meat Eater Incorporated. And that's why uh, one of the better guests we could have on to talk through some of that, talk through uh, some other awesome topics, is that of First Lights PR and Communication Director. I believe that's his title, Ryan Callahan. So enjoy episode number 31. Brian Callahan. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, too. We're here in um, Bozeman. Montana. Yeah, beautiful uh, Bos Angeles. Bos Angeles. I, as a uh, newbie to the state and the town, I have to figure out the lingo, the proper, you know, the proper lingo. Uh, I told you I was hanging out with my grandpa last night, yeah. um, and we were talking about Bozeman, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I went over there and spent a few days hanging out uh, with." Uh, my dad worked for uh, Gallatin County for a short time. Yep. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I saw five like really nice little sports car convertibles with these women in them that 
or like blonde and you could tell that they had like some upgrades and he didn't say upgrades, but uh, you can fill in the blank there. And, mm. and, and his takeaway was, you know, they were, they looked really comfortable being there <laughs> as in these aren't Montana people and they're comfortable there. So that means that they're living there. <laughs> and that's like his they whole, seem to be taking up yes. stake they seem to stake some land out for themselves yes and he was like so there yeah yep he's like, he's <laughs> like don't don't live in Bozeman he's like place has gone to hell well listen hipsters have a manifest destiny that is not that goes unchallenged when they want to live <laughs> in your place they're coming dude and there's nothing yeah. you can do about it uh, new age the, squatters yeah pioneering it's the, really the pioneering of the kombucha bar yes I found here <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I mean we are in the the guts, really. I mean, I would I would describe it as the guts of the new meat eater incorporated office. Uh and yes, yeah, Steve Rennell is just well, I don't know, out there pilfering items. Uh but this is the brand new gut. Oh, Yanni's making sticking his tongue out. It's real, it's very it is. It's pretty pretty funny. It's pretty entertaining here. But yeah, this is the guts. I mean, we literally just walked into it and like picked some tables up and put them down and uh, it's brand brand new. So what do, what are you thinking like this have potential this this office space? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a little built out for my taste, you know. I like mm. to tear yeah. things down to the studs and yep. go from there, but That's why I'm asking because I know you are an expert in the uh, Yeah. Um no, it's it's cool. Yeah, you got I like like the metal and um Metal and concrete, that stuff works for me pretty well. Yeah. Hard to break. It is. But, you know, hopefully by now, if you're listening to this, that you've heard about Meat Eater Incorporated as a thing. Um, you know about Meat Eater TV and Steve Rinella, and, of course, that's why Cal's around because he's a Meat Eater guy. In fact, we were saying that at lunch today, it's like I've heard Steve Rinella described as the first light guy, and I've heard you described as the Meat Eater guy. Yes. And, of course, vice versa. I love your show. You know, I was, I'm always like, well, hey, there's a lot of people that work on that show that do a really good job, and it's hard, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> so I just show up. <laughs> yep. Try to look good. Yep. Um, yeah, man. So uh, I need to ask you what everybody asks me. Yeah. Um, what is Meat Eater Inc.? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Two podcasts ago, I talked about like why we're doing it, but I, I, I don't feel like uh, what it is is answered so much in the why we're doing it, right? Because um, you and I share a why. Like we both, you know, we're both on the board for BHA. We both just kind of feel the same way about certain things. Not all things, but certain things that are relatively important to our lives. And so the why has kind of been discussed and, but the what is very much uh, to be determined, I would say. Like we all have, we were talking about earlier, I mean, we have these titles and we have a building, we have all this space, but like doesn't really mean anything because we've done relatively nothing um, to this point. But we're going to be a media company uh, and we're going to be a media company that does a lot of things, including Meat Eater TV and the Meat Eater brand and, and all that stuff, including the Hunting Collective and the Hunting Collective brand and all the stuff that comes with it currently and then hopefully as it grows um but we're also going to just be something a little bit different like i feel personally having been in the media world for a while and you're you certainly have pr in your title for first light 
there are some holes in the boat when it comes to how we produce media for hunting, fishing, conservation, all of it. Um, not to say there's not a bunch of good stuff happening, but I feel like there are some expressed holes in our uh, the tactic that we take to talk both to the outside world, but also to ourselves, like how um, media is produced for hunters and in hunting uh, specifically. So we're going to be a media company that tries to um, always start with our ethos and our why, but then looks to be innovative and do stuff different and create content in ways that's engaging that maybe is not there right now um, around a lot of things, but particularly culinary world where Steve comes from, uh, you know, and is connected to and the conservation world, which you have a lot to do with and as do, as I do um, in, in my history and my presence. So um, it's a hard thing to nail down. This doesn't have like a one sentence description, but um at its at its core, it's just a bunch of people that believe the same thing that decided this was the best thing to do with their lives. And and, and you guys are going to be producing media. Yep. It's a media company, so that's right. That uh, is a TV show or shows. Yeah, hopefully shows. I would hope. I mean, you know, if 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 we could have a media company in the very short term, if our our entire company could be as successful as the mediator company or you know the media brand has been to this point we'd be we'd be happy in the very longer term we would like to have 10 different uh, brands that look like media that media has books that steve does it has tv shows it has podcasts it has live events we would like to have a myriad of those things across uh, a bunch of different platforms and in a bunch of different ways you know different voices different subject matter you know fly fishing um, we're even looking at foraging we're looking at course we're looking at you know pike and walleye and mountain hunting and waterfowl hunting and you know small game whatever we can get to um and so yeah man we'd like to create different types those different types of experiences across a bunch of subject matters with a bunch of different voices that um, a lot of folks that have been heard from some that haven't I mean, we'll have some folks that will sign on and we'll hope to help them discover their voice and and get people excited about who they are that maybe nobody knows about right now um, so that's also cool, man. Like, you know, well, as well as I do, it's a pretty, um, unique position to be in, to be able to like take someone that you think has the power to, you know, give people perspective and change their minds and give them a platform and say, go for it, kick ass, go do it. So, and by the way, everybody should be paying attention to this, to person. this person. Yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. But for me, as somebody who cares about the hunting industry, this is just a new thing that has, um, has the power to change some things, I think. Um, cool. And, and in your perspective, like what, what's like the number one change that you, item that that's on your hit list? Yeah. Well, I think, um, and there's a lot, there's a lot, but I, I think the first one is, is creating content for the audience only. You know, we, I've said this a million times internally here, but if anyone comes in and, and starts creating content, around motivations that are um, external to the audience, the folks that are, we're, we're talking to and and that are investing in our content, then you're out. Like, I will kick you out. <laughs> I will walk you out the door. Um, everybody can think of examples in, in not only the hunting hunting fishing space, but in just general media where, you know, not everybody expressly cares about the audience. In fact, most don't. Um, 
most care about the audience tuning in so they get their numbers so they make their money. But like, there's an express, you know, expressive, like, I care about you being a smarter person, being more intelligent. That makes us all better. Hence, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And so as somebody who has a journalism degree and wants to change the thing, that's the main thing I want to change um, is that we'll listen to our audience and, and, um, and be here for them rather than for advertisers or for some um, power that be somewhere else. So I, I certainly have heard some some talk about that we might be um, might have a certain motivation, like uh, this company might have been formed for a certain reason, and I'm not, I'll tell you, it's the the reason we've expressly stated is the reason why we're doing it is because we care about uh, we we think the outdoors are a sacred place, we care about the natural world, we think it makes us all better, and we want to have better interactions with it, and like that's we said that Steve said it, I've said it, we've all said it. We sat in a room just like this one and came up with it like a month ago. <laughs> and that was a cool, like that was a cool experience uh, Yeah, to sit in a room with, with people I respect and, and trade a bunch of ideas and try to come to us a, a why that, that, uh, it was important to us. And I think after we made the announcement, it's the first time I've ever seen in my, that we had like 99.999% positive reaction to it. The internet was broken that day. Yeah. Yeah. The assholes forgot to show up. <laughs> They'll get to it eventually. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be honest. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, trade-offs, right? So uh, you're no longer at Yeti. You're no longer in no, Texas. No. Um, and you haven't been posting up all sorts of hunting pictures. No. So what have you been doing? Like, yeah. I like how we reverse interview. I like this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, what I've been doing Seeing is building my plan, building this thing, you know? Um, no, I mean, when it, when, you know, folks that follow people in the hunting industry that hunt a lot, it starts to become this, uh, it's kind of the thing you do, right? You stay home for three weeks and you start to think, Whoa, why have I not accomplished anything? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not off somewhere else. Um, so I pretty early on and in, in like knowing I was going to leave where I was and come to Montana, knowing that we were going to be building a company that I felt was pretty substantial. And I, and I feel that, you know, other than Steve and, and some other folks, I feel a grand amount of ownership and, and responsibility in how it goes and that it goes well and goes right. So I sat down with my wife and I said, you know, I think it's probably better that as we move and we're building a house here in Montana, we're doing all these things. We're building a company that, uh, you know, those things come first. I'm always a hunter and always a traveling some bitch, but, but in, in the, you know, over this couple of months this fall, it's, it's been focused on those things, which are as important as anything for our future. And I, but I, I have a clear intention to hunt the West over the next 30 years, like a madman. <laughs> and so I'm just giving it a break, giving it a breather, <laughs> giving it a little breather. Uh, just, uh, it's uh, like a warming shot. Yeah. Something. It's like, a, yeah. it's just like, I don't want, I'm just, you know, I'm not even going to dip my toe in. I'll look at it for a while and just determine which deep end of the pool I'm diving into. So I know that too. And moving out West has always been something I thought about, never thought it would happen. So there's a little bit of a, is this real? Can I hunt elk over there? (laughs) Really? Sweet. Is this a trick? So I know you have a different perspective living in Montana or growing up in Montana, living in Idaho. But for me, it's very much like this looking around like, okay, I got to take some time to, breathe this in um before i just before it's like mine kind of 
in, in some weird way. Oh man, yeah, the diversity of this state is yeah. is just so wild. Yeah, so wild. Yeah, and I got all like I got all the meat I'd ever need. Like I got meat. I felt, you know, I shot an axis deer. We shot axis deer together. Yes. And I felt like I brought that home and I was like, I love axis deer. And I started like hammering that shit to the top of my freezer. <laughs> like there's no room for it. And we moved here. I thought, you know, there's okay. Probably should take some time to eat some of this, clear it out. Yeah, to rotate the freezer. You're killing at a breakneck pace, you know. And that's, I felt a little bit in, like that experience for me was a little bit like, that's a little bit inappropriate. If you have all the meat you need. Yeah. Like it's so, I, 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 f- I did not shoot a elk with my bow yeah. this year, which is the first time in a long time. And I was like, I passed up a bull the second day of the season. Yep. And I uh, was like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. But then passed up another one mm-hmm. passed up another one. And, um, and that was like a huge part of like the calming voice in my head was like, I was thinking about the freezer at home and I'm like, I'm really going to rotate that, that thing <laughs> this year. Like I'm, I'm going to eat everything in there yeah. and start fresh. Um, and I only need X amount. And there, there's yeah. folks that I always give meat to yeah. um, that, that truly want it. Um, and so the, they'll have to experiment with some different cuts this year. <laughs> but um, Yeah, they're going to do a lot of top round cooking this year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, yeah, I was kind of yeah. saying, I've been out a lot and having fun, as, as you know. But it's uh, there, it, high level, levels of anxiety. <laughs> hi hi i'm like you're That's really the right gonna, kind of anxiety yeah, cool. you're really gonna not do that yeah no i i had high levels anxiety like looking at the instagrams and seeing yeah. all the people hunting because when it becomes like you're like we've talked like you're i have this unwillingness to do anything that wouldn't forward my hunting life like i have this like somebody said you know what here man two million bucks we're gonna pay you that two million bucks a year, and you're gonna come work for the New York Times, and you're gonna be like the, you know, editor in chief of the New York Times. I'd be like, listen, man, that's a lot of money, but no, <laughs> it's like no, because so that it gives me solace, like it gives me solace in in an intangible sense that uh, I know I'm moving to Montana, where my hunting opportunities are going to explode, you know, as as just like being able to take my young son and take him around locally and hunt fish and do those things like that's so i have that in my mind but the the last couple of months watching other people go run around and and it gives you some perspective i'm like when you're in it because last year the year before that the probably the last eight years i didn't go two weeks at home during september october november december yeah and so this time i just i just went two and a half months without doing much and so it gives you a little bit of perspective of maybe what it seems like when you're not, you know, when you're just armchairing it. And yeah. So I, I, I'm sure you could pull it up, but I think, you know, your average hunter is in the field, not even a full weekend. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we always talk about 14 million or 10 million or whatever the number is. That's an imperfect number anyway, but 
there's this projection. We project this like a hunter is someone who just fucking hunts all the time. And so I think there's a lot of people. And something always dies. Yeah, something always dies. And that's why I've always appreciated you and appreciated Steve and like the connected to that because there's this, there's other appreciations that there's other priorities that go along with the hunting. Um, But you just enjoy spending time outside. You don't enjoy like overly enjoy or fetishize the killing of a giant thing. Like that'll come, but it's not. And it's part of the presentation, but it's not a. Yeah, it's not overly uh, expounded upon. Like, I killed a big thing. Woo, woo, woo. It's like, I killed a big thing. That happened to be the end of the great 10 days in the wilderness. Yeah. Then I ate it. Then I ate it. And then it just happened to be big, you know? Yeah. That's what it was. Man, I I um, found a couple of big bulls this year and chased them. It was, it was super fun. And like I said, the typically, like, I hunt a broadside elk and that is it it may have antlers it may not um and that's a good that's like a t-shirt i hunt broadside (laughs) that's it period man give me a broadside elk and um because then i've always felt like okay that meat is in the freezer there's a huge return right elk's a big animal Mm -hmm. um and once that's in the freezer then it doesn't matter if I miss or break a leg, like it's in there. Yeah. And, and, but then I'm, I'm basically free to hunt after that. It kind of sounds weird, but I'm like, elk is on the grocery list. It gets put in the freezer. And then when that is done, then I'm actually hunting. Yeah. And, and purely going out with the main purpose of just hunting and what I know we've talked about it before, but you know, the trigger pull part ends your hunting. Yeah. That's, that's when hunting stops. Yeah. And so typically like, yeah, I don't touch that trigger again. Uh, you know, for the rest of the year sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, um, but, uh, yeah, man, I got a lot of nights in the woods, just like a lot of, it was, Idaho is hot and uh, clear the whole time and didn't bring a tent uh, until... Well, I remember you were t- I was texting you and you're like, well, I'm just going to hunt. I run out of food and I'll be back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it's so like, I just, I feel so relaxed and so comfortable when I hunt that way. Yeah. Because like, I know I have everything I need. And it's like, I just get to go and I get to make, there's no decision of like, well, I got to find, there's not even the decision of being like, well, I got to find a big enough spot for my tent. It's like, here's an elk bed, blow up my air mattress and pass out for the night. Yeah, man. And it's, and it's just like so simple that it is addictive. So here's a question. something I always think about and I've said, maybe said in the past, like, do you change the way you think about hunting every year? Oh, you know, I think I do. Yeah, if I was if I was honest, I yeah. do. I do for sure. Even this year, not having not hunted as much. Well, shit. Over the last two months, I hunted plenty in the first half of the year, but like having to take some time off anyway. Um, you you feel like is there moments of reflection, or is it just like? Every year you see, oh, a different chapter in the book. Maybe I'm going to, you know, present this chapter differently or, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think 
it uh well like yeah this year um instead of being like boy i gotta f- get you know the last of this animal uh in the cooler and get it up and drop it off with my dad because yeah. he's somebody who always wants at least half an elk um so i can make room for the elk that i just got um, instead of, or, you know, taking it to folks at the office or whoever, instead of having that mind, because I know I'm going to get an elk, I was like, I'm just not going to shoot an elk. Okay. And I kept calling them in and messing with them. <laughs> uh, maybe even purposely educating some. So somebody else who I didn't feel uh, had had quite earned it. Like I, I see had. you talking to the elk. Like, listen, I know you came all this way in, but we got to talk. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I uh, I know I told you about this, uh, but I called in my uh, closest ever elk. Yeah, and uh, and that never would have happened because I would have shot the thing three or four different times um, before he even came in. But he literally. I I didn't know this was in this area where these big bulls were hanging out and I could hear this bull rake in a tree and I knew it wasn't like the big bull because when the big bull was raking a tree, it, it literally sounded like a four by four getting whacked against a tree. Yeah. Like it was like, whack. <laughs> it was, it was all, it was very similar to like hearing a moose, like yeah. whack a tree and yep. sound off. Um, and so I knew it wasn't that bull, but I uh, needed to put eyes on it. And so I snuck in there and cow called a couple of times and just hung out. And eventually, you know, raghorn bull comes walking over the hill. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I had an arrow knocked, right? Like I was ready. Um, but then he just kind of kind of kept coming and then turned and got on the same trail that I was on. And he, you know, is looking for that cow and there's a tree across the trail mm-hmm. and he's at like seven yards now. And I'm like, okay, well he's going to stop at the tree. Um, and then he gets up to the tree and does like the full horse, like four footed leap over the tree. And he lands basically at like three yards. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa, that's wild. And I'm thinking, are you going to be like a Yellowstone tourist and like wind up skewered by this bull? Because we don't think about that enough, man. That (laughs) is a dangerous situation. It is a dangerous situation. One wrong move and you're freaking toast. All all you have to do is freak out and go forward instead of backwards. In a gruesome ass way too. Yeah. And I was like, you know, a big part of it that led me down this decision path was I came up with like this, all I can describe it as is like this getting older malady. Mm. Like I hadn't been out, hadn't been out hammering. Uh, <laughs> what? And training uh, and hadn't even gotten on my freaking mountain bike at all. And I was busting butt on the house and trying to get it done and trying to get ahead at first light enough to feel good about being outside. And, uh, and yeah, we did a monster hike opening day of the season. Uh, grabbed my overnight gear that night, went back out, 
another monster hike and man, I was, I was pretty crippled on this foot thing. And, and then I'm like, boy, and then you compound that by getting skewered in the guts oh. by some raghorn bull. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting out of here. Um, but, uh, this bull just kept walking and yeah. So part of me is like, you better yeah. do something. And then the other part of me is like, or just see how close he comes. <laughs> and yeah, so 29 inches. The bull came in. 20? That's close. Is that closer to me and you? Yes. We're probably 50 inches apart. And I had my arrow on, on the string, right? And he came in and sniffed the broadhead. And you could, like, I've never been that close to an elk, obviously. No. And, and he came in and sniffed the broadhead and I just remember like staring at his forehead being like, boy, this must be a really good year for horn growth because this thing's head is so tiny. It, it, I bet it's normally a spike. Yeah. A normal year. It's, it's probably a spike. And, and you could just see like the facial expression of like recognition of like, man, Never seen this before, but it is not right. <laughs> and then it, it somehow peeled around without touching me or the arrow and stood broadside. There's my broadside elk at maybe 15 yards and just stared at me. And then, and I was waiting for it to bark and blow the area up. And, and then it just kind of like relaxed completely. And then dropped his head and ate and walked off. And I'm like, well, never would have experienced that. Um, no. And that was a sweet experience. You know, it's not elk meat in the freezer, but. Yeah, but again, the only, the only thing you left off the story was, well, I draw back a shot. At. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's one sentence in a freaking, you know, a 500 word t- uh, article. Yes. You know? And so that's the beautiful part about that. But yeah, I mean. I found like uh, I started doing it. I think like five years ago, when I started thinking, "Oh, I'm kind of like in the hunting industry as a professional person. Like I'm hunting a lot for my job." Um, it's just taking like a day. I never or a moment whenever it hit me to like think about like, "Holy shit, how am I hunting right now that I haven't like." last year, the year before, the year before that, five years ago when I was a kid, I would have never done some of the stuff I do now or thought some of them. I'm sure when you were a kid, you would never, probably never let an elk walk up to sniff your broadhead. No. Yeah. And so no. I always try to like think back and recognize those changes and, and be, you know, super cognizant of, of each year how I, what I do differently. Yeah, man. And just try and be honest with yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I we worked so hard and it was always on the weekend. Yeah. Um, and we worked so, so hard to get one opportunity. It was like, if you got one opportunity, archery elk hunting in the state of Montana, whether you let an arrow fly or not, that was a successful season for oh, us. Yeah. Like that was like a major success. Like yeah. the, the bull was there, had an opportunity and I screwed it up or I killed it. Yep. Like that, it was all you could, and that was kind of a big ask, right? Like mm-hmm. that was working really hard, 
um, on the weekends, just like everybody else. Yeah. And now uh, I try to work really hard and, and if I could stay out there for a month, I would stay out there for a month and in just, yeah. I mean, the reality is in the opening week of archery season in Idaho, I hunted more than most people will than, than the majority yeah. of hunters will the entire season. Yeah. Right. We were talking about it. That that's a huge thing. I think it that is. maybe doesn't, you know, there's a lot of things about like what we do and who people think we are that, that, is helpful, I think, to the hunting industry, but there's part of that that changes. It's changed me to an extent. We were just talking about another point about free hunting gear. <laughs> and I think it's, it's the amount of days hunting and the free hunting shit that I get and you get and like just we get as part of our thing here. Yeah, and so caution people when they're like, oh, man, that's badass. It's like, yeah. well, I am actually a catered to individual. Yes. Like, I have, it's, it's silly. I am a spoiled man. Oh yeah. I mean, when I was moving, I was looking at my garage and I was like, come on. Like, no, this is wrong. Like this is not right. I mean, so what's more badass, right? Like being in this position where you get the time, like, Hey, no, you are going elk hunting this week. Yeah. Dedicated week. Better get out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. um, and you, you at least have at your disposal some really solid discounts yeah. to get the best stuff on the market too. Um, or, you know, the guy's swinging the hammer and dropping his tool belt at five o'clock and driving all night long and yeah, and going out there for – all day Saturday because he's got to get back for his kid's birthday on Sunday type of thing. You yeah. know, it's like... I think there's this... There's something that happens and it's a natural... These are natural things. Like, it doesn't make me bad or you bad or anybody who's in a, in, in our industry bad um, for it. But I, I've spent the last, you know, a, a bunch of podcasts previous to this one just talking to, you know, not even guides. I just did one with a rabbit hunter in Maryland who is just a regular guy. But he just, he's like, buys his brush pants at Cabela's, but he's the best rabbit hunter I've ever met in my life, you know, because his perspectives are so different because he doesn't, like, he's, I just got that one pair of brush pants. He doesn't have boxes of, like, prototype stuff to test out and things like that. You know, it's, it's people being like, please test these out for us. Yeah. Um, and so I think that just changes, you know, me personally. I don't know if anybody cares about my personal thing, but that has changed me. And I've had to like take a few steps back from that and be like, appreciate, be appreciative of the time I you spend outside and appreciative of the things that you're wearing and and the privileges you have around that. Be appreciative of that, and then also know that the guy, um, there's a little bit more virtue in the guy that works five days a week and takes his tool belt off and goes hunting. Like, yeah. and I was that guy, for so were you for a very long time. And like, there's there's a little bit more virtue, just like a teeny bit more virtue. Yeah, and and it, well, yes, yeah, so, and so folks in the positions of like, you got uh, sponsors that are willing to pay and ship your butter on the country, and yeah. and uh, you know, and I do feel like 
the days of this happening aren't quite what they used to be, but you know, there was definitely a time where, um, the only media out there was written media and there were only a few folks worth reading mm-hmm. and those folks got shipped around the world. Oh yeah. And they were, I mean, catered to, Oh man, because they needed that article. And it sure uh, did produce, uh, some of them are kind of just assholes now because <laughs> <it's, laughs> yeah. they went through 30 years of being catered to. Yeah. And man, they, they, uh, if you're going to be in that position, you better recognize, um, that, uh, you're, you're a pretty spoiled cat. Oh yeah. So you better, better give something back yeah. somehow, somewhere. There's a ton of people that do that and do it well. And, and understand their position, and but I've worked hard to get there. So I mean, it, it, it's not that you should feel bad about that, but that's something I've been thinking about. And we talk about we were just before we hit record talking about like seeing it in other people. Like I've been, I've had it for a while. You've had it for a while. Like seeing somebody just start with a box of gear showing up and just start to realize I could just have that. Could I just that right there? I just take that. Yeah, and then nobody would say anything. I just like oh, that person is now figuring out, you know, what this is uh, and the benefits of it. And I always caution, like you know, nothing in life is free. No, and there is a uh, cost associated, and um, you uh, you better recognize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know we won't belabor that point because I like it's. I think sometimes these conversations just become two people talking and it's like you think, do people really care about this? <laughs> um, O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy 
on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Here's another, so I'm going to totally flip. There's no segue at all. I got no segue, but it's something I was thinking about um, as we were having lunch today. We were having a, a nice long conversation about public land versus private land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the feeling that as, as you know, I feel there's some danger. I don't know if you, we've never talked about this, but maybe we have a little bit. I feel like there is some, there, there's always inherent danger with trends, right? And trendiness, moreover. There's, yeah, there's yep. danger with something being cool. Like when it gets to be cool, people start doing it for inauthentic reasons, or talking about it for inauthentic reasons. Um, public lands have kind of started to trend that way, or they it's become a trend to talk about. I feel like a lot of companies are talking about public land. A lot of individuals are talking about public land. I love it. I love that all. And yes. I would never say don't do it, but I. I there's always a little drawback to that, which is which is the yeah. Like, uh, uh, it it uh, you may alienate yes folks it's, that. So yeah, you and I know a few folks that are private landowners or landowners. We don't even say private; they're landowners um, and ranchers who feel uh, slighted. Yes, because they are they feel like. Uh, as we champion, you know, kind of the mystique of public land hunting and the effort it takes to go and do it all on your own and the, the, the idealistic link it has to our, our nation and what it means to be American and, you know, keep harking back to the turn of the century and these important figures, there's not a similar storyline for private lands and ranching and habitat therein. And so there's this perceived undercurrent of, of anger or animosity that you've seen a little bit, I've seen a little bit, I think kind of has bubbled up in some ways. Yes. That, uh, is worth addressing. Yeah. And, you know, I think the good argument is, oh, you're a public landowner. What do you actually do for the land? Mm-hmm. I am a rancher. I have my property and I am out taking care of it to the best of my ability every single day. That's what I do. What are you doing yeah. with your public landowner t-shirt? I got one on right now. Um, and that argument, I absolutely get. And I love people. Yeah. Like, I think everybody who wears that public landowner shirt should be challenged. Yeah. And say, yeah, well, what are you doing for public land? Yep. Yeah. I think, yep. I think make it happen. Yeah, because I want that conversation to happen. Right, and I don't. I was even talking to Lantani yesterday from BHA, and I, I said I don't, I don't want it to feel like I'm downing the trendiness of public lands. That's what I want. Yes, I want to 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 uh, to expound upon that and how important it is, and continue to beat that drum. And I will always continue like to beat that drum because I because I know what it means and what it means to me. So, not bagging it. No, but addressing no. like. 
the negative side. And this once it becomes the trend as it has been, then you can start to evaluate the its effect on our culture and our shared ideas. Like, and it's having yeah. an effect, I think, a little bit right now. The, the the conversation that isn't positive or productive is when somebody feels like they aren't cool because yeah. They're like, well, I I am hunting on private land, and everybody talks about how cool public lands are, and I think my private land's pretty cool. And yeah. so I don't like you guys. We've it, it, you, I the nomenclature of hunting has changed. The way we describe the what things we do has changed to the point where it's like if someone killed an elk, they're like, man, killed a good bull. If someone kills a bull on public land, they've now killed a public land bull. Like it has yes. a modifier in front and it does not go anywhere without its public land bull title. Yep. Like, no, that's very true. And very it, true. And then that is uh, just part of like the acceptance of this thing uh, can be a little, a little bit tougher, a little bit more, uh, you know, pioneering to just go in a land that, that, and figure it out and do it yourself. Like that's well, okay. I mean, the, the, f- we did everything that we could to get access to private land in Montana growing up. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's grass is always greener element to it for sure. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I just didn't know. It was like, well, I can see across the fence and there's a lot of elk out in that alfalfa field. Oh yeah. Like how we get over there. Yeah. How do I get over there? <laughs> Um, which is probably a way better and more virtuous way to look at that shit anyway. Like where are the elk cars where I'd like to go? I don't give a shit if it's owned by us or that guy. Yeah. I'd like to go over there. Um, and yeah, man, but the thing that makes public land so challenging and frustrating, like I saw more archery hunters in the woods this year than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah. And spots where i can be like well i'll never see anybody yeah. you're like oh my god yeah who is this idiot with a giant backpack <laughs> who is not me which is the issue here yeah uh, you know i mean and and that's why the public land deal is challenging is yeah. because you're out there with every other public land owner that's and it's competition and yeah. it makes it tough yeah um and that's you know that's that's why that little yeah prefix should be on there. Where yeah, it's like, yeah. I I just noticed that lately, like this year, maybe because I was not in it and I was looking at it, and I was like, "There's definitely we've changed the way we describe hunting because this this animal that died has a as a modifier as to where how it died, where it died. You know, yeah. My public land archery bull, um, and the animal doesn't care. The animal gives where? two shits about that <laughs> where it expired. <laughs> it doesn't care. So. When I was a kid, I remember like I, we had a uh, uh, organic farm that we had access to hunt. It was, you know, the lady said, "Kill every deer you see." Yeah, they, they jump over the fence, they eat my eat my crops, and and that's how I make my money. And so we would go there, and we would see tons of deer. I mean, this place was full of deer. It's probably it wasn't a big place, maybe five six hundred acres, something like that. And we would go and kill five six seven deer in a day, and we'd get all our food. This lady would be happy. It'd be great. But then we had public land that was probably 45 minutes from my front door that was, you know, to me at the time, mountains. Mm-hmm. Like it was wild place, creek creek crossings, park the truck, walk for miles, do your thing. 
And then this private land was very much just like get out of the truck, walk down the trail, sit on the log, shoot the deer. And so without even knowing it as a kid, public land to me was this like adventure yeah. situation. And private Because it's land, the unknown. Is this the unknown? So for me, like I was doing it without even realizing like, oh, this, we were just like, oh, we're going to go to Green Ridge State Forest. That's where we're going. Like we're just, it's, oh man, it's great. You go up mountains, you cro- cross creeks, like other people could be there. It's cool. It's like mysterious. And then you go to this private farm. You're like, well, we walk down the trail and you go past the garden about 1,500 yards, go down the draw and then sit on that log there. And, yeah, and get a deer. And get a deer. Yes. And that's how you refer to it, right? Yeah, it's like, and get a deer. Uh, my uncle down the road here, I mean, I that was, I was like, yeah, this is grocery shopping. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's great. I mean, and if you want to talk about like the real the hypocrisy here is like, you know, he has deer that live and die in that alfalfa field and they taste great and mm. he can harvest one. And I do think in this case, harvest is the absolute appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's uh, plucking it out of the field. Much yes, like the soybeans without really doing anything different in his day. Yeah. Like he can step out of the tractor, he can shoot the deer, he can continue on with the tractor. Yeah. When he gets to where the deer expired, he will then throw it on the tractor <laughs> or in the tractor. So it's a bit of a detour. Yes. And me. just continue on. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, he has told me many, many times, he's like, you can have anybody out here as long as they appreciate it. And he appreciates that land like deep in his soul and it exudes from his eyeballs. Like he, man, like he takes great, great pride and, and he's seen the changes firsthand. He's got his hands dirty every single day and he's 60 some years old now and maybe even older. I I don't know. Uh, sorry, Jeffrey. And, um, and, and that is, that is a real thing. And folks like him, they, I hope to God, they don't feel slighted by people being oh. so, so happy about public land. Yeah. And that's what we were when, uh, at lunch today, you and I, Renella were talking about, like, don't feel just because we say we love public lands doesn't mean we hate private land. No. And that, yeah. that we had a particular person that felt that way, you know, that reached out to you and, and me and Steve yeah. almost like separately, but it, like in the same thread. That's like, I have private land and and nobody's celebrating this. Right. Yeah. Should, you know, there's no t-shirts for this thing. Like, okay, well, there's reasons for that. But moreover, I don't hate your thing. In fact, I aspire to have a ranch one day if I could. Uh I would love to. Uh, yeah. You're a lucky sucker. And that's why we don't have to celebrate you. <laughs> It'd be like, it's like the Oscars, like celebrating rich, famous people. We don't need to do that. Yeah. You know, if you have that access, you don't, you're, you've already won. Like you've won the game uh, at some level. Yeah. At, at some level. And, and it's, you know, people aren't helping you celebrate that more than, boy, that's a great ball. Yeah. Because they don't get that experience either. Yeah. Yeah. Right? The vast majority, to go back to the beginning here, like 
you don't get that many days in the woods. And, you know, unless you're really dedicating time to, you know, track down those landowners and and yeah. make sure that they know that you're not some knucklehead that's going to yeah. shoot a horse instead of an elk. Um, yep. Then you're probably not going to waste your one weekend doing that. No. Because you only got one weekend to go. So, yeah. well, um, it strikes me now that we're, we're going through this, that the, that idea that, you know, it, it, I was thinking about homesteading as we, as you were talking there, like homesteading is part of the American, was part of the American dream, right? It was part of like what people wanted to do. It was part of manifest destiny, going West and staking your ground. It was a big part of it. And that's being used by guys like Mike Lee as this draw to draw people in and convince them that, that, you know, the new homestead act is what they need to be doing. When that we both at this table know that's a veiled attempt to privatize these lands and sell the suckers. Yes. Which is a sad thing. Like I would celebrate homesteading. I think homesteading is what this country, it it isn't, it it is what this country was built upon. Yeah. Um, and there was a reaction to that that was public lands, that was national forests, that was na- national parks. It was a reaction to like, we're out here staking all this land up. Let's make sure, let's make sure this part is for all of us. Um, yeah. And so it, it spins. It, you know, the reason that private landowners are feeling a little slighted or feeling different from the crowd here as as the crowd grows, public land hunters and folks that will wear the t-shirt. Um, it opens up like some weird political chasm for, for like us against them. Like yeah. mentality. red versus blue, private versus public. And that's um, the nice thing is it, it, the public is for everybody. Yeah. So there is no us versus them. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, if, if anything, uh, maybe we've reduced the amount of folks stopping by and knocking on your door on a Sunday. Yeah. Well, and Mike Lee is trying to convince people that, because uh, public land is elitist. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's trying to convince private landowners and ranchers and people that fall on the red side of, of uh, the coin that public land is an elitist principle. Yeah. Yeah. And it, oh, that, it's just so wrong in, in so many ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot of people sleep in parks, public parks. Yeah. Elitist doesn't seem real elite. <laughs> Elitists, yeah. elitists. But yeah, I, I think that that's all kind of uh, spun together in this weird gumbo of of hunting. Um, it is, and again, like I, I, so the <laughs> we were just just did a Wyoming antelope hunt. Um, with the a couple of the guys from Hush and uh, the guys at Weatherby. Weatherby's now calling themselves Weather, Weatherby 3.0 internally. Probably shouldn't be telling everybody that, but and it's cool because Adam Weatherby is is CEO and he's and he's running things and they're moving to Wyoming. They're the whole the corporate office is in Wyoming already, mm-hmm. but they're moving the whole manufacturing out of California to Wyoming and. So we went out and did a uh, antelope hunt together uh, on private land, um, and oh my god, I had an absolute ball! 
like just leisurely passing up antelope for <laughs> truly no reason other than the fact that you could. You could, yeah. And some other truck wasn't going to top over the ridge and whack that thing. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was great. It was super, super fun. Great experience. Um, and yeah. And, and that doesn't make, make me less of a public landowner. No. Or pro one thing, anti another. Yeah. Where's and, your credibility lie? Like, you're, yeah. <laughs> what does that even like? What does that even mean? Somebody asked me, like, what kind of credit, you know, how do you get your credibility as a hunter if you're just going to hunt private lands? I'm like, because there's an animal over there and you're over here and you go over and you kill it. Yeah. Like, that's that's a skill. Yeah. That's an I did. Skill. So there, there's some chunks of BLM that are landlocked there. And um, I rode around with the rancher um, the whole time and got a ton of bullshitting in, which <laughs> I just loved. Bullshitting um, with an old rancher is like yeah, that's kind of bullshit. There awesome, is. awesome. You know, rattling around in the truck and and uh, you know, I'm just like, just like I was when I was like 12, riding around with an old rancher. I was like, a question every 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm like, enough about me. Yeah, enough what about, about me. and uh, about that tree right there? Yeah, and he's like, well, what about? He's like, well, what are you looking for? What are you? I'm like, I just want to see more more of the ranch. I just want to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, he's like, well, you know, he's like, you know, this is kind of like the average antelope and some of them will get a little bit bigger, but, and I'm like, dude, I do not care. I'm like, I just like this, what we're doing right now is what I'm after. This is yeah. awesome. And we had a great time and, um, there are some chunks of BLM there that uh, are completely landlocked. So public land, inaccessible public land, which is something I just drives me crazy. Yep. And, but, you know, talking with this rancher about it, he's like, you know, I've tried to do some land swaps with the state because he's like, these things are honestly kind of a, a pain in my butt. And um, he's like, tried to do this like three or four times. And swap out sections that are, yeah, public. He's like, you know, and, and and swap this stuff out so I don't have the public land in inside. Yeah, the perimeters of the of the uh, of the ranch, and and so that was an interesting conversation. And one of the Weatherby guys is like, well, you know, you you probably want to shoot your antelope over there on that chunk of BLM so it's, <laughs> since, since it's public. That is the best. Ain't that like what we're talking about, though? Yes, that's exactly what it is, right? You're probably going to want, for credibility's sake, you want to go over there. Right, because that's your thing, right? Even though that public land is basically private. Yeah, (laughs) and... Keep up appearances. And I was just so excited to just be able to get Bones home, which I never do, because typically I have to leave him on the mountain to save some weight. And make stock. I was like, dude, I'm already on hog heaven. And it, yeah. what I care about in this particular situation is getting a, a pile of bones so I can make stock at home. And I haven't eaten an antelope in a long time. And I'm pumped about that. And I don't care if it's a six-inch buck or a 16-inch buck. Amen. Um, and I certainly don't care where it's standing. <laughs> 
Don't care where it's I'm just trying to, for some reason lately, I'm trying to think about a lot of t-shirt ideas. We're going to start selling t-shirts on the podcast. Or not on the podcast, but about it. I think that might be a nice one. I don't care where it's standing. <laughs> don't care where it's standing. By he the doesn't row. care where he stands. He don't care. No. He no. don't care. I shot uh, that six and a half by 300. Oh, yeah. That's a straight shooting son of a bitch, isn't it? It's pretty cool. The it's casing cool. on that thing is enormous. Yep. I, I It was phew, three years ago now. I think I was uh, one of the first guys to get it and like, travel abroad with it or do anything crazy. We went to New Zealand, and I missed a uh, fallow deer like 316 yards. We were about 45-degree angle above this fallow deer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to hold high. You know, I had shot. You know, I was living in Texas then, so I'm like, there was no ranges past 100 yards, so I'd only shot at 100 yards with this rifle. We go over there. We shoot our guns in. I'm doing good out to 200. We got this goat at the, this fallow deer, like 316 yards. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to hold high because we're going to have, you know, we got, we got an angle, steep angle here. And I shot over this thing's back. And then I remember Adam Weatherby or someone at Weatherby saying, this thing is flat to 300 yards. And I thought, you're a dummy. Just hold on. <laughs> so this fallow deer is running up this draw, and I just crack another round in there and just put right on the shoulder and drop him. At probably 350 yards. And that's when I realized, oh. You know, Adam's a pretty impressive character. Oh, my gosh. He's like, he knows their loads, obviously, and he knows their guns. But he, for everybody shot, um, was like, yeah, you got about uh, 10 mile an hour wind here. And that's coming out of the barrel at about 3,200 feet per second. So you're going to want to hold about an inch and a half to the right. And you're like, what? Awesome. Like, can you come with me on all my hunts? Like, this is awesome. This is the best spotter ever. Yes. Well, he comes from a long line of impressive dudes. I can only imagine, you know, I've met his father and uh, never did meet Roy Weatherby, but uh, Ed Weatherby's just as impressive of a fella. That's cool. Uh, I I do have to tell everybody that uh, Ben and I are sitting here on our butts doing this podcast. I I got my back to the window. And uh, I'm watching uh, Stephen Ranella uh, carry. What's he doing? Physically move things into the office. He's moving like tables, Tables boxes. Yeah. I thought he was, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. He's giving Yanni a piggyback ride. (laughs) (laughs) He loves that little fella. He really likes him. (laughs) Yeah, I I have my back to the window, so I haven't been seeing, like, I'm aware that people are bringing things in, but they must think that we're, this is work, though, right? Yeah. This is work. You got Steve walking backwards with the uh, meat eater uh, CEO uh, carrying a table up up some stairs. Yeah, I mean, this is a team team effort. We're, We're, all for one, one for all around here. Unless you're podcasting, you got time to carry this shit. I mean, I'll eventually carry some stuff, I think. But I, I don't. Uh, at this point, I don't think. Uh, I don't want to hurt myself or anything. No. Uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. 
Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? You need a brake light fixed? You need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Yeah, I know it's nice. It's nice to have Brunella walking around in the background, sweating it out while we're hamming it up about. It's good for him. The biggest issues. Um, I like having you on. You know why? Because uh, one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons, is because like sometimes I get bothered about stuff, and I'm not sure how to bring it up on the podcast. Like I get bothered about, like I was bothered about the public private land thing. I was just bothered yeah. about it. And well, I, it, it is bothering, bothersome. Bothers. So you you should should feel it's right like, yeah. to be bothered because yeah, man. I, like I know so many awesome landowners, and I have a lot in my family, and and they kick ass, and they should be celebrated for that. Yeah, they should be. Yeah, it's just it's hard to celebrate something that a lot of people aren't. Yeah, going to be able to touch. I think you and I will start a series of podcasts where it's just like it'll be called "I'm bothered by." <laughs> I like it. And then it's just, we'll just talk about the shit that bothers us currently. Uh, you know what grinds my gears? You know what you know, grinds my gears? Um, here's one thing, the other thing that bothers me. Um, and I don't even know how to really articulate it. And that's why I haven't brought it up to anybody yet. But it, guiding. Yep. Or the outfitting. Uh, outfitting. Guiding yep. is, a, is a subset of outfitting. You've been a guide. Yep. Um, so as I look at like as I think about my own hunting and why I'm doing the thing and, and I just read about hunting all the time and I look at hunting on social media and I talk to hunters, I moved to Bozeman to be around them and be, you know, be a part of this thing. And, and it, it strikes me that, um, there's a lot of examples of this, that outfitting can't help, but be all about the antlers. Like mm-hmm. it can't fucking help it. Um, almost just because of the way it's set up, the way it's done traditionally. 
Outfitting can't help but slide that book of photos across the table or have its main page on the website of the outfitter be a bunch of dead giant animals. Yeah. Has to entice the people to come and see the giant animals and kill the giant animals that they've got. Yep. And so that's just bothered. That's something that's bothered me. And I've hunted with outfitters and guides my whole life. And I've never met, I've very, I've had one or two that I can think that I would never go back with again, that it was a bad experience. They were helpful in my experiencing a place that I didn't know anything about yeah. or learning things or learning tactics or learning whatever. I mean, they were helpful in my hunting experience, not harmful, but like the optics of the outfitting game. You've been to SCI, you've been to Harrisburg, you've been to all these places that I've been to. Like the optics of it is the sales, the, you know, making it a commodity and then the selling of the opportunity at a big animal. Like, my dad's doing it currently. He's going with an outfitter in Montana next month. And he was, instead of talking about the country, the place, uh, the people he might meet, he was talking about the size of the antlers that the outfitter was showing him. That's not my dad, but it's like the outfitter was like, come hunt in Montana. Check it out. Yep. You know that very well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's been bothering me. What do you think about that? You know, I think... Everybody likes wants to get something big. Yeah, you know it's it's because they're not around every tree, right? Um, and but isn't that like one? I guess maybe one of the things that bothers me is that that's like an artificial. Like if you go out on, on public or private land and do all the work and get the big thing, that's what hunting is. Yeah, this well, is like now I've always said, like so yeah, the the marketing sales part. Yeah. Yeah. Big animals, man. For, for sure. There's, uh, um, uh, Adam, uh, field to table hunts in Colorado. Yeah. Um, and, and he does do some like, no, these are cow hunts and, Mm. and I'm going to show you how to cut it, cut it up and you're going to have cut wrap meat going home. And, and that's super awesome. Obviously it's a much different, customer than yes then uh you know that there's the like the sub sub category i the one percent of the hunting company hunting world that's like yeah can you give that meat away to somebody yeah like or they don't even inquire to it at all right it's like give me my picture make sure this gets the tax during us and i'm on the i'm back on the plane can i take that i'm a a little guy a little bit deeper one level deeper, like there's that one percent that gives a sh- shit two shits about the meat, but there's another like deeper subset that cares about the meat a little bit. Yep, enough to like eat some backstrap in camp and maybe if if it's not inconvenient, take some home. Yep, um, I've seen a lot of examples of that kind of activity. Like yeah, you know, taking some backstraps home and leaving the rest of the animal. Yeah, uh, and saying why well, I love the meat. You left most of the meat. Yeah. And I've like, seen well, that it's real expensive to get on the plane. And you're like, you're like wait, wait a minute. What? How'd you get here? $6,000 hunt. Yeah. Um, I've seen that a lot in Canada, particularly because of yeah. how hard it is to get the entire moose back to the States. People are like, I'll just take the big cuts that I like. Yeah. Um, look, that's not wrong. But I just, like I said, it's like there's some bothersome like threads of that that I think. So the greater public, the non-hunting public, 
don't look so good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there are some realities and truths to that in the hunting space. Yeah. Um, but I, I have always said like a really good guide, really good outfitter. They are going to make you feel as if you, you did it. Like yeah. you, like you came over that ridge and you spotted the animal and you got yourself like, and they're there facilitating, right? Yeah. They That's are. What I said. Most sure. of my guides. Yeah. 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 Um, but if you don't have that sense of accomplishment, then they did a bad job. Sure. Dead animal or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because there's nobody that there's folks that can trick themselves into thinking something different. But if it's like, well, you know, all I did really was pull the trigger. Yeah. That's not in my mind. You didn't, yeah. You turned in B work as a guide, not a work. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I, I would make that point again is that I say it bothers me. I think you made the great statement. It's like the marketing is that what bothers me. Most of my guided hunts, I've always come off a better hunter with a great experience and felt like fulfilled by the thing. Uh, yeah. And ideally like that guide outfit that you're spending time with, you're like, you know, I want to spend time with them again. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of that going on. In fact, you know, I just got a text from a guy named Mike Hawkins that the first moose hunt I ever did with Rogan up in British Columbia, like that dude's remained a friend. Yeah. Like, you know, it wasn't like the most hardcore moose hunt ever, but it was a great time and I'm glad that I did it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that it's more my biggest issue with always thinking about the messaging around what we do is, is the marketing of like the intrinsic person to person marketing of, of outfitters, mm-hmm. like how it shows up online, how it shows up at trade shows, how that like, and, and I've seen, and you've likely seen documentaries and, uh, vice, uh, episodes and different like non-hunting coverage of hunting that goes to the trade show and makes it look like a circus. You know, it goes to SEI and shows, you know, the dude walking up and asking about the lion. Yeah. And seeing the flip book of dead animals. Like it and they play like yakety sacks while the person's walking <laughs> around in the trade show. Cause to somebody on the outside, that shit looks really weird. It does. And it looks you know, it looks very um, you know, Looks like trophy hunting. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was, uh, when I was uh, speaking to my class yesterday at the <laughs> University of we Montana. We need to discuss that part, too. Uh, Cal's a guest. Did you say guest lecturer? Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, which was awesome because the University of Montana and I didn't exactly leave on great terms. Didn't, didn't part ways on great terms. Because <laughs> it wasn't. Um, but, uh, the, uh, they were studying, um, like the, that, what guiding was, what outfitting was. Yeah. And, but of course, like they start in the 19th century, right. Where the real deal trophy hunting was taking place. Oh yeah. Um, where you had like your caravan of taxidermists and, you know, and, and a lot of tweed going on. Oh man. And, uh, you know, man, I get to go a lot of places and chat with a lot of folks as, as you do. Um, the amount 
of hunters that I run into that I would consider trophy hunters, like that definition of trophy hunters is, is so, so small. Minuscule. Um, and again, like it's that 1% of the hunting population. And unfortunately, like hunting that we talk about them all the time ourselves. Oh yeah. And the media certainly focuses on there and, and you know, the more the media refers to Donald Trump Jr. as your average hunter, the more we lose. Cause that just, yeah, he may be your average hunter, but there's plenty of examples of him doing non average things in the hunting space. Like yes, it is, it, that's a challenge. And I, I think that's probably why I'm, I know for a fact, having experienced it, it's not trophy hunting. Like you don't go to the Harris, you know, the great American outdoor show in, in Harrisburg and there's a bunch of trophy hunters there. That's not the case. Um, but I think a conversation we could have better that I've seen at that show is like a, a Wyoming mule deer outfitter sitting at his booth at Harrisburg with his giant, his heads everywhere and his pictures of all the antlers and then to get the non-trophy hunting regular guy that has just an extra five grand that wants to go out west is all of a sudden like walking around looking for the guy with the biggest heads. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I I don't blame either party. And I don't and I know what they're doing, and I know it's not that. I know it's not what you're talking about. Right. But I think the optics of it are such. The optics of it are such could be sure. improved. Yep. A little bit. That's what yeah, I've been bothered about lately. I, I there's I don't have anything that really comes to mind um, because you know that average Joe just just like anybody for any situation you're like yep I'm gonna go out west and you're a skier and you're looking at resorts and one has 300 inches of powder every year and the other one has 800 inches of powder every year. Yeah. You're like, well, probably to go for more snow, not less. 800 inches. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think that, but it, that even goes back to just the focusing on just the animal, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. The what what they really want is a kick-ass all-around experience. Yes. That's what they really want. That's what they really desire. And if... How do we how how do we give that to them without saying the big deer is the end you know the big deer is always the end result always always and I support that I'm with you I want them all too <laughs> like, I desire when I see a big mule deer I lust after that motherfucker like I would marry it <laughs> like if it would well, like to spend time with me what are you I, thinking about Ben <laughs> uh, chasing it around up. yeah so I get it I'm not I'm not saying I don't get that but like. Like I said, I mean, I think if, if I took my non-hunting brother to a uh, hunting trade show and, and he stood and watched that interaction, he would not get the reality of the situation. Yes. In my opinion, I think. So I think that part of our industry could use a little, you know, just a, more, of a, more of a conversation about that one thing. It is. And if you sit in on those conversations with those outfitters, the first 30 seconds, they're like, yeah, this is a great example of a deer. Yes. Yep. And you may may have an opportunity at a buck like that. Yeah. If you come out with me, but they're not behind every tree. No. Right? 
Yep. These and, are these are prime examples, right? We are putting the best tomatoes in the front of the display. Yes. Like that's that's how and yeah, yeah. most will do that. And a lot of the conversations, it's a sit down, like, what's the tent camp like? What's the food like? Yeah. You know, how long you been doing this? Like, you got a family? Like that's how people have the conversation, you know. Uh, yeah. Most of the time. Uh, but it's uh But it's yeah, like, face value, it's like, well, all these folks are just looking to kill big shit. Yeah. And that's it. If you walk down the aisles and you didn't like listen into those conversations, you'd be like, This is a this is a antler and horn market. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, like that trophy part of the conversation is such a small part yeah. of the conversation when you're actually booking a hunt with an outfitter and they get through it as fast as possible. They're like, Yeah. Those animals do exist. Obviously, they're yep. mounted and stuffed and right in front of your face. They do exist. That's a great example of, of a thing. Yeah. Like, but there are no guarantees. Yeah. 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 So that's the, yeah. That's the one thing I've said, like, as our segment concludes, what bothers me today? <laughs> <laughs> I recently have been bothered by that. And I just wanted to tell you <laughs> nothing will come of it. <laughs> <laughs> other than that it was something i was thinking about around my uh um around my dad's hunt and like how it was presented to him um all right we uh i don't normally do this i might have done it one other time but we asked for questions for you and oh, for me yeah, i forgot from, about that i got some they're pretty good cool uh, pretty good this one is from meat eating canadian uh, are there any specific bones from large game that we can use for stock slash broth if we find out our animal has CWD or should they be left alone altogether? So CWD being chronic wasting disease, of course. Yeah, I, I, I think if you are really following the whole and total guidelines, you want to discard those bones um, whatever they may be, but certainly the spinal column and the head, um, in the same place that you got that deer. Yeah. So don't travel around with them and unfortunately don't make stock with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you've heard, you you hear all kinds of reactions to it, right? But that's a pretty specific example. There's CWD hanging around and I have a deer that's tested positive for it. Really? No, I don't. I'm just saying. Oh, oh yes. I have. Well, I actually say, I say they, um, Green Ridge State Forest that I, I hunted in growing up, there was CWD in that county, um, a big outbreak of CWD, and they cut the deer tags down for, for some years around that. Um, that's my only experience, but we kind of just quit hunting up there yeah. for a couple of years. Of course, I moved away at some point during that, but it was less of a thing um, because of it. So that's. I think now is like we know CWD is a thing. We know it's around. What's a what's the appropriate reaction for hunters? You know? Yeah, and and I I do think that's it. Now I know, uh, I believe the like Department of Natural Resources says you know just don't deal with the spinal column mm-hmm. or or the brain or anything with spinal fluid, um, but if you read some other sources, they they tell you to leave all the bones in place 
So I would just say until we get a handle on this, mm-hmm. we just, you got, unfortunately it sucks, but you got to skip making stock on, yeah. on that critter. You got to. Yeah. You just have but to. I, I, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. No. Here's another, <laughs> I got some pretty funny ones, but nobody would understand a lot of these questions. Uh, we have a, uh, whatever Trevor has asking, is Montana better than Texas? Uh, boy, you lived in the state of Texas. You've been there, though. Oh, yeah. Man, and Texan pride is not to be messed with. No. They put it on shirts. Don't mess with Texas. So I'm not going to mess with it. Yeah. I'm not going to answer that question. No, man. I mean, it depends on what you're into. Yeah. Right? You like barbecue? Hmm? You like shorts and flip-flops? Texas, baby. Texas hospitality is a real thing. Fantastic. As a father of a young child, do you like breweries with playgrounds? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And there's copious amounts of that going on in Texas. Um, That seems to be similar here in Montana. Uh, Right now, it's very cold outside of Montana. It's very warm outside in Texas. Yeah. I mean, variety is the spice of life, right? That's damn right. You got... A lot of opportunities in Texas that you don't have in Montana. You got yeah. a lot of opportunities in Montana that you don't have in Texas. Yeah. Um, you know, try it all. What about spice is the variety of life? That's a t-shirt idea. Spice is the variety of life. <laughs> it's deep. That not, is. Not funny. We'll, we're, gonna, we'll, we're not going to do that one. <laughs> no, that, we never will cut that. We'll edit that we'll out of the podcast. Put a pen in this one. Yeah, put a pen. Uh, Be Shook 5. Let's talk tongues. Best tongue recipe. Yeah. So the simple deal with with tongue is it is a tough muscle. So pressure cooker or boil it, um, and then you can pull the hide of the tongue off, Mm -hmm. and the meat on the inside is really tender and great. And that's a delicate process, pulling that hide off the, the tongue, huh? Uh, it can be. If you get the timing right, like you cook it long enough, then that meat separates almost Pretty, on see its that, own. See, I've screwed that up in the past. Yeah. On, on and on a deer tongue, if you're leaving a lot of meat on that hide, then you're not left with a lot of meat in real short fashion. So, um, And then from there, man, you can do anything you want with it. Make tacos out of it. Do whatever. I, I saute it. Um, when when I collect a lot of them, I saute them in um, green olives, pimentos, garlic, a little bit of red wine, um, and uh, and I throw some morels in there, and then I serve it all on top of polenta. Oh, and it's real, oh, real nice. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. Meats. I love polenta. <laughs> I I fucking love morels. Yes, put a little olive tongue in there, and I'm happy camper coming over. Yep. I live way closer to you now. Coming. Yep. Coming over. Let's see if we can find one more real good one. Got a lot of specific ones about that are making me laugh. But uh nothing. Everybody wants to know like your favorite thing to cook, man. Like your favorite your favorite cut. The the it's that's just a yeah, it's a tough question because I I just really enjoy cooking and it's mm-hmm. super fun to try new stuff and you gotta make sure that you're just like constantly kicking your butt out of that rut and I'll open a cookbook and try something else out um, to really force myself to do something different because it's just so easy to 
cook the same thing. Or, yeah, I have a problem with that. I have a, or similar things. I have a major problem. That's the freezer problem that I've had. I've had so much like straps and loins. And- yes. So uh, Kimmy Werner. Mm-hmm. Love her. Love her. Uh, Kimmy Swimmy. Yeah, look her up. You don't know who she is. You better get to it. Yeah. And incredible voice for food and harvesting critters. Um, and, uh, you know, she came over and I gave her a whole mule deer loin mm-hmm. to play with. And um, she cut it up, pounded it thin and and lightly fried it. And I was just like, oh my God, you just ruined my oh, mule deer backstrap. Yeah. I love those things, but I'm being polite because you're my house guest. And she could tell. She was like, she's like, <laughs> are you okay? Cal? Yeah. Are you <laughs> getting a little red there, bud? What's yeah. going on? And so she's like, listen, I, you know, I know food's important to you. It's super important to me. I feel like I disrespected your animal. And we had this big heart to heart. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is I'm just an asshole. And I was like, no, that was absolutely phenomenal food. I ate it. I ate all the leftovers yesterday and they were even better than the first night. And I have a surplus of meat. Oh yeah. And I should never think that this has to be cooked this way. Yeah. And it was, it was great. And it was just me being set in my ways. Oh, we've got, yeah. And there's a, uh, this podcast has a, there's a thing with my wife where I'm always just mean to her about (laughs) cooking a wild game. And I don't want to be. She's an awesome person, way better than me at almost everything. But I get so pent up about like her cooking the, the game and maybe it might not be the best right. it could be. This is how you do this. And turn this is the only a, way. I turn into a complete idiot yes. when it comes to that. But uh, I had this antelope loin and I smashed it flat. Um, you know, cut it into steaks like good inch and a half inch steaks mm-hmm. smashed it down into probably quarter inch steaks and put a little bit of here's a uh immigrated texican jess priles oh yeah. she does some cool stuff she's cool yeah, man. Yeah. i like her hardcore uh, carnivore hardcore carnivore right. i met her a couple um, and she came out with a game seasoning and i put a little bit of that on there and then i put a little italian breadcrumbs on there and just smashed it in and just a little bit, like more like seasoning than a breading. Yeah. Like a light and, crust. Uh, butter, olive oil, big chunks of garlic. Got that going until uh, the garlic started to brown up, pulled the garlic out, slid the antelope in there. Uh, got it 90% of the way cooked, still on the raw side. Pulled it back out, threw the garlic in there, shallots, a uh, bunch of morels. Yeah. Uh, they soaked all that butter and olive oil up and cooked and then put the meat back in and had, uh, I feel like that should be called scallopini, but I don't honestly know if that's that sounds like, listen, that sounds right. But Go with it, it was absolutely phenomenal, oh, dude. And I would have just been eating, you know, beautiful, medium rare barbecued antelope loin if. I hadn't been like, oh, I got to try something different. Yeah. So what you're telling people is expand. Expand. Yeah. It's very important to expand. It is. Um, try new things and screw it up and, and try again. It is. And you're going to mow through that freezer so much faster if you're excited to yeah. try yeah. new stuff. You know? Yeah. And there's, there's uh, 
that's the the way even for me processing game like do you have muscle groups you have it's, it seems pretty straightforward but sometimes there's little things you can do to make it quicker make it easier and and those are the things that you remember and you can can pass on to other people yeah. same with cooking but you got to try it first yeah you know, maybe one time they screw up the shank as you're as you're chopping it off but next time you're gonna know yeah exactly <laughs> that's all you learn um a lot of mustache queries uh how many mustache push-ups can you do uh mustache you know like what are some good tips for a nice mustache um you have any uh final thoughts around mustaches particularly i had bought a thing of mustache wax uh many years ago Mm. in uh you know the west coast epicenter of hipsterdom seattle oh yeah and facial hair yeah um and uh I still have that tin of mustache wax. So occasionally, like particularly in the winter months, yep. and hair growth is really, really moving. I'll uh, wax it up just a little bit, keep keep my mustache out of my food. But that's that's about all. Have you ever been chewing on a piece of food and thought, well, there's a hair in it, and realized that you were only chewing on your own facial hair? And that's gross. Still attached to your face. It is. Yeah. I find that to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, who put this hair in there? Yeah. <laughs> this is gross. Um, all right. I think that's it. I don't, I don't see. I'll have to look again, but thank you. We got 78 people commenting uh, and asking questions. So thank you for all of those folks who did that. I don't really uh, ever do that, but that's pretty cool. Everybody wrote in. Thank Very you cool. for that. Thank you for that. Uh, what's next for you, man? What are you doing now? Uh, Granny's 90th birthday. Whoa. Yep. Uh, my grandma Marion Walton is uh, happy birthday, Marion. Yeah, tough, tough old bird. <laughs> and uh, like there's no 90 year old week old bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we're the the big family, the clans getting together. Um, uh, starting tomorrow, and uh, we're gonna do big food throwdown. I got a whole antelope ham that I threw in the sous vide in the in the truck. And, um, and yeah, we're going to throw down for granny and then I'm coming back here and f- joining the crew and flying yeah. out to Maryland, my home place to hunt seek a deer, which is something oh, I've been very excited about. It's a beautiful, delicious creature. Yes. Non-native, but delicious. Yes. There he goes. People are leaving work now. They're like going home to their families <laughs> And we've totally avoided any moving. This is great. That was really great. Well, well, well planned uh, out, man. Well, no, I'm good at some things. Well, enjoy Maryland. That's a, that's a fun hunt. That's a wonderful deer. And we'll look forward to it uh, next season of Meat Eater TV. Right? So Absolutely. if you listen to this, go watch Callahan on season seven of Meat Eater TV. You freeloaders. Like, make sure you go. You click on Netflix and watch all the episodes. It'll be, I am very excited. I, I uh, started researching this hunt six years ago. Six years ago? Yeah. Now. And uh, Steve and Giannis one day, they were like, so, not saying we can make this happen, but if we could do any hunt you wanted to do. I was like, seek a deer in Maryland. <laughs> they're like, what? They're like, Seek a deer in Maryland. Doll sheep, 
I'm like, dude, Seekadir, Maryland, has got history. There's food. It's cheap. There's uh, public land. It's, like, I'm not going to say I'll let you guys break the news on the, the, the refuge you can go to and do it. I, I've done it many, not many times, but growing up, I'd travel over there and do it here, here and there. But it is to be in the roar for the Seekadir in the swamps of southern Maryland on the eastern shore is pretty freaking unique. You're eating oysters, uh, crab cakes, and drinking yingling, living the life. <laughs> so go, go, my friend. Drain the yingling from the shore. Uh, Love it. And enjoy Thank it. you. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. That's it. That's all. Episode number 31 of the podcast in the books. Thank you once again to Mr. Ryan Callahan for hanging out and listening to some of the things that bothered me and asking some of his own questions about what we've got going on at Meat Eater Incorporated right now. Uh, all that said, again, uh, we will reiterate all the hunting collective content is going to live on the meateater.com. Uh, you can go to the listen tab to listen to all of these podcasts. You can go to my contributor page to read all the articles and just poke around and read some stuff from Mark Kenyon, Wired to Hunt, April Vokey, from Anchored, Pat Durkin, Chef Eduardo Garcia, a bunch of other folks that are contributing, including, of course, Steve Rinella. Uh, it's been uh, fun to launch this, and it's been even better to talk to you about it because we've been wanting to do that for quite some time. So thanks to everybody who uh, wrote in and texted and called and reacted to our launch uh, two weeks ago now and our why, why we do uh, what we do. And so we are in Montana. We are stationed. We are in an empty office. Where we're currently putting furniture in. <laughs> Um, and we're going to uh, start this journey that is uh, Meteor Incorporated and Hunting Collective uh, as a partnership. So that is it. Next podcast will be also in lovely Montana. So stay tuned with us. We'll be right back at you next Tuesday. Bye.
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.